0: He first suspected that they were going to eat him, when he noticed a distinct lack of yuletide smells. It wasn't perhaps a conscious thought, at least not one which had been fully realized, but there was a clear growing uneasiness within him. Somehow, he just knew. Surely, if a family invited you for Christmas dinner the house would be filled with the wonderful aromas associated with that annual feast. Succulent roast turkey, honey-glazed vegetables, perhaps the fumes of mulled wine, or a brandy-covered Christmas pudding. But no, all of these were absent. Yet, the table was set. It was a particularly bleak Christmas, And while snow was often welcome at that festive time of the year, the penetrating cold and frost, which seemed to sabotage both homes and their residents' bodies, was not. The temperature had plummeted on the 7th, and there had been little sign of any forthcoming reprieve. The Cardinal family had taken pity on an elderly gentleman who had recently moved into the neighborhood only a few streets away. They were of an upstanding stock and took part in a local home help initiative, spending time with the old and vulnerable. Everyone knew and loved them. Timmy was the youngest, a boy of only five or six. He was a child whom all looked upon with great adoration, never complaining, never causing trouble, always adorable. And his ten-year-old sister, Camelia, was equally as admired. They were both a testament to the caring and nurturing parenting skills of Ben and Lucy Cardinal. Each year as the cold winter drew in, the Cardinal family were admired for their dedication and commitment to those around them. Their passion almost zeal for helping those who were less fortunate. But behind the smiles and the skin-deep facade of that of a loving family, lurked a far more sinister purpose. They had a tradition each year, a way to reward themselves for their kindness and generosity, one which stemmed back through many previous generations of the Cardinal family. Each Christmas, they would invite a guest for dinner, who would be welcomed with open arms into their home, sat down at a beautifully set table, provided with humorous and enjoyable Christmas conversation, and then by the light of the roaring fire, the guests would be stabbed to death and eaten gratefully. They all reveled in the old tradition, with Timmy looking forward to it the most. He had a ferocious appetite and a waistline to match it, but children do get so wrapped up in the anticipation of a family Christmas, and his parents were delighted to see a growing boy fill his belly. Camelia was of a more quiet disposition than her stout little brother, slight of figure with a pallid complexion which reminded all of her mother. But make no mistake, she adored eating with the family and could render anyone silent with a sharp cold insult. Ben was the local police chief for the area so covering up their annual feast was quite the cinch, while Lucy was, shall we say, a relation of sorts and was entirely enthusiastic about maintaining the Christmas tradition. Their guests were invariably those without family and often of a ripe old age, forgotten by society, left to wither in their isolated little houses. Ben explained to the children yearly that it was almost a kindness to put the victims out of their slowly, increasing misery. And besides, when they did eventually die, they would be shoved into a box in the ground or roasted into ashes. What a waste of good meat. This year, Timmy and Camelia were especially excited. It was all their mother could do to calm their nerves. But on that Christmas Eve... It was nearly impossible, for they knew the special treat they were in for the following day. The Cardinals were hosting a most special guest. His name was Sergio Mararu, and he hailed from Eastern Europe. They had never had foreign meat before, and the very idea of tearing into some delicious exotic muscle and fat made this year's feast something to really look forward to. They had met Old Man Mararu just a few weeks earlier when Ben had noticed the unusual name on his home help list. Each year as Christmas approached, the volunteers at the local church would be given names and addresses of pensioners in the area who had no family and would be left quite alone over the holiday season. At that festive time of year, and worried that many of the frailer residents might succumb to the biting cold, church committee members would visit each of these lonely individuals and offer a friendly ear, a helping hand, and often some hearty food to the poorest of those on the list. The names would rarely change, but at least one person on that list would sadly pass away that year. Being an upstanding member of the community and a high ranking police officer in the area. Ben would often inform the church that one of their flock had sadly passed away and with no friends or family known, he would concoct a lie which usually involved a long lost son or daughter appearing to take their sadly departed parent somewhere far away to be buried. That or he would say that they had simply moved having a bit of a deal with a local real estate agent and solicitors firm to throw the proceeds from any property sales their way. This year, the Cardinals had been hoping to invite Lucy Rindridge around for her Christmas swan song, but unfortunately, she had died during the summer. Ben had investigated, and he suspected that an intruder had been inside the house with her at the time of her death but it seemed as though the causes were natural. The family would just have to have someone different for dinner. Then the name appeared on the list. Sergio Mararu, 86, slight emphysema, no family, knows no one in the area as he has only recently moved here. Perfect. Ben found Mr. Mararu to be an absolute delight. While he was obviously very frail, his mind was still sharp, and he regaled Ben with numerous colorful stories about the old country and the adventures he had while in the full bloom of youth. Of particular interest were his war stories, and Ben was thrilled to know that their main course would be that of an intelligent, well-traveled man. He even looked unlike any of the previous victims. He was quite tall, although slightly hunched with age, and with a long crooked nose and intense stare. Ben fancied that in his youth, Muraru would have been quite intimidating. His kind smile and obvious fragile frame, however, left Ben in no doubt that the kids would love him. They enjoyed eating those with character and a gentle disposition. He always enjoyed the meat more if it had a keen mind and was out of the ordinary, as the family religion stated that the eating of another human being would transmit some of its strengths to those whom devoured it. As with many of those who can only look into the past rather than into the future, Sergio Moraru enjoyed the company greatly and was touched when Ben invited him to sit at his family's Christmas table. The old man was extremely frail, and required the assistance of both Ben and Camellia to help him in and out of Ben's car, and then into the house. His emphysema was particularly bad that day, as each step was accompanied by the wheezing, fluid-filled sounds of struggling lungs. Each room of the cardinal home was draped in multicolored, Christmas decorations with numerous cards adorning every visible table and mantelpiece showcasing just how popular Ben and his family really were. The table was laid with a red cotton cloth resting underneath an elegant cream dining set. The old man found that the rest of Ben's family were just as pleasant and congenial as he was. Timmy and Camelia were kind and very well behaved for their age, helping the frail old man to his chair carefully and then waiting on him, topping up his drink as their mother and father busied themselves in the kitchen. Finally, Lucy appeared carrying a huge centerpiece plate. It was unusually large as she sat it in the middle of the table, empty and devoid of food. Old Man Mararu caught a look on Lucy's face. It was brief, and he immediately attempted to disregard it as a product of his imagination, but it unsettled him deeply. It was as if a private joke had passed between the eyes of Lucy and her children, a flicker of a grin, and not one of kindness or of Christmas spirit, but rather one resembling that of a conspiratorial bully as if Sergio was the unwitting recipient of some unwholesome prank waiting to be ridiculed. Just as the unease began to diminish, Ben appeared with a large jagged carving knife and a long, two-pronged fork which reminded Sergio more of a butcher's implement than that required to cut a decent-sized turkey, a turkey which became increasingly conspicuous by its absence. There they sat for over an hour, each member of the Cardinal family replenishing the old man's drink with enthusiasm and showing concern for every and each cough or moment of uncomfortable breathing experienced by their guest, but it was a strange concern. There they sat gleefully, asking Mararu questions and then listening to stories and answers which came about his life. Where he had lived, how many battles he had fought in. But the interest and concern seemed to be distant somehow. It was only skin deep. Each time their guest mentioned the old country, those same conspiracy-laden glances were traded across the table, as if excited not by the content of the stories, but rather by the simple fact that Mararu was a foreigner. The absence of not only food, but that of the mere mention of it, was unsettling enough. But what was more perplexing was that Ben repeatedly stole looks towards an antique clock which sat on a mantelpiece above the fire. Looks which were poorly hidden and betrayed their purpose. He was counting down the minutes to some event. While the old man had no idea what the event was, the certainty was apparent that it was not connected to anything cooking in the kitchen oven. Muraru knew that there was simply no food being roasted, grilled, or even cooled on a window ledge nearby. Whatever was being planned, it was not going to involve him eating a Christmas meal. It was Camellia who stopped smiling at first at his jokes and historical observations She had ceased listening. No longer was she politely laughing at obvious jokes and the endearing sight of an old man repeating himself through forgetfulness. Camellia was simply staring, staring with those pinpoint, cold, dark eyes as a snake before a strike. Timmy was next to abandon the act as he began to grin menacingly at Sergio as his hands gripped a small serrated steak knife intensely. The most alarming thing was that the focus of Timmy's stare was not the old man's face, but his wrinkled neck. With one last glance at the clock, Ben seized being the jovial, attentive host and began to run his fingers along the huge carving knife in front of him with a mixture of anger and lust upon his face. Sergio had seen many things in his time, but nothing as surprisingly strange and unnerving as this. Finally, when the clock began to chime, Lucy relinquished her false, endearing shell and exposed the cold-hearted and twisted personality which lay beneath. As the chime slowly rang throughout the house, One by one, echoing and lonely and piercing in their symbolism, each of the cardinals rose up from their chairs, sharp, jagged knives in hand, and waited. The chime rang once, and they uttered an indecipherable phrase in unison. The chime rang twice, and they increased their cult-like chorus in ferocity and volume. The chime rang three times, and then they stopped. All were silent, the house devoid of sound, Christmas spirit, and that of hope. The old man's wheezing grew in intensity as the uniquely bizarre sight of the twisted family about to dine dawned on Sergio. The family then quietly and efficiently walked around the dining table and stood motionless surrounding their guest just as the old man was about to inquire what was to become of him the clock on the mantelpiece burst into life one final time the chime was different from the others it was sharper somehow fouler and echoed once and once only throughout the cardinal home from behind. Lucy slit the old man's throat from ear to ear as Ben thrust his carving knife deep into Sergio's stomach. Both parents then removed their knives and stood back watching with pride as Camelia cut and stabbed repeatedly while Timmy thrust his steak knife in and out of Mararu's legs, neck, and arms. After a few minutes, the frenzy diminished as both children grew tired, and with one last downward thrust, Timmy drove his steak knife so deeply into the old man's hand that it skewered it completely, embedding itself into the table on which the hand rested. The children now ran to their parents' collective embrace. They hugged and rejoiced in what was a fantastic Christmas game, and now could look forward with delight to some succulent exotic meat arms wrapped around one another they stared at their victim and began to laugh loudly (laughs) commenting on the old fool stories of times gone by the war and the old country as they turned to each other once more the laughter diminished and they looked into each other's rosy blood-covered faces and shared a family moment This had been one of Ben's favorite sacrifices, but the laughter had not completely ceased. One person was still laughing loudly. (laughs) Confusion turned to an abject horror as the bizarre truth revealed itself. It was Mr. Mararu. Sitting covered in blood, his head tilted back and the deep cut in his throat wide open. The dinner guest laughed, loud and strong, a laugh which was both young and old. His head arched forward as he pulled Timmy's steak knife out of his hand, dropping it on the floor. Camellia screamed as Lucy hid behind Ben. What they thought to be a corpse now stared at them all as they had stared at it with a singular purpose. Timmy began to pee himself and cry as two previously retracted fangs cracked through the old man's upper gum, revealing a serrated and terrifying grin. As he rose to his feet, Lucy fainted, and with both hunch and age now gone, the Cardinal's guest loomed tall and dark before them, his eyes piercing telling tales of countries and decades and of centuries of existence sergio mararu ate well that christmas i could never sleep well in hotels i guess that's somewhat of an understatement i could never sleep well in general but hotels were the worst. Just the thought that the previous occupant of this bed is a complete stranger was repulsive in my mind, but that's beside the point. What I'm getting at is how this lack of sleep in hotels changed my life. Christmas. We were spending Christmas in a shitty hotel and not with family. Great. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I didn't enjoy the all-you-can-eat buffet of soggy hash browns and grits for Christmas Eve dinner. Of course, the first snow of the season had to cancel our flight down to Virginia. It was Christmas Eve, and I was trying to sleep in this bleach-saturated room. My mind was wandering, wondering what happened in here to cause such an excessive amount of bleach needed. The room was nothing out of the ordinary two beds, one for my dad and I, and another for my sister and mom, a bathroom, and a stained microwave that looked in need of a good dusting. Somehow, I escaped the room and the stench of bleach into a dreamless sleep. Waking up, I could tell it was early morning. My dad was next to me, snoring, and he usually wakes up before 4am. That's when it hit me. It's Christmas, and I was about to let this bad fortune ruin my favorite holiday. Looking across the bed at the clock to check the time is when I noticed it. The silhouette of a man about 6'3", across the room, staring at my mom's sleep. Still half asleep and caught up in the moment, I couldn't help thinking of Santa Claus. I realized how stupid the thought was, and horror soon filled my head. I choked back a shriek. I knew I couldn't let him see me awake, so I quietly put my head back down, pretending to sleep. My mind was racing. Someone was in my room, and I couldn't do anything. I was a scrawny 16-year-old. This man looked built like an ox. I wondered if I could wake up my dad in time, but I knew that wouldn't work. He slept like a rock. A bucket of water couldn't get him up fast enough. I was practically in tears. I'd never felt so helpless. For a second time, I choked back a scream. He was standing next to me, and I could feel and hear his repulsive breath on my face. It smelled like he had been eating rotten meat for a week with no thought of brushing his teeth. If he didn't know I was awake, surely he did now, seeing my face was contorted in fear. The breathing stopped, and I couldn't help the sigh of relief. I would have kicked myself, but there was no need. I heard the room door open and close. I launched out of bed. Nothing in the room was in disarray, and my family was still asleep. That couldn't have been a dream, I couldn't have imagined it. Feeling awake as ever, a horrible idea popped into my head, and before I could push it away, I was pulling the door open. Glancing back to the door in order to memorize the room number, I saw the giant spray painted black X on the door. Had I seen this without the prior experience, I probably would have thought it was just some stupid kids. I knew better, but not enough to know what it was for. My heart skipped a beat. There he was, turning the corner at the end of the hall. Why am I doing this? I tailed him down to the parking lot. He was nowhere in sight. One moment he's walking out the lobby, the next he's gone. Realizing how cold it is outside in paper-thin pajamas, I returned to the lobby. No one was around. Strange. I could swear there's usually a night staff. Adrenaline wearing off, I realized how stupid and rash my actions had been. He could have killed me. I cursed myself back up the stairs. I knew something was wrong when I got to my floor. The door to my room was wide open. I hadn't left it that way, right? I walked inside and after a quick search of the room, I determined it safe and my family was still asleep. I locked the door and got back into bed, though I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. I listened to my dad get up and eventually my mom followed, but I still pretended to sleep. A few hours passed and my parents got my sister and I up. We got into the car and made our way back to the airport. Digging through my bag to grab my iPod led to the finding of something that hadn't been in there the previous day. A note that simply held the five words I still think about to this day. I knew you were awake. It's now been around two months since the hotel experience. I'm still scared for my life, and it gets worse every day. That note I found wasn't the only one. I still receive them.